This is The Five of My Life with me, Nigel Marsh. The series where I talk to notable people about five of their favourite things. The way it works is my guests always choose a favourite film, book, song, place and possession. They tell me their choices in advance so I can research them, but they don't tell me why they've chosen them. That's the subject of our conversation. The reason I devised this series is I wanted to create a slightly different way to gain a genuine insight into the real lives and thoughts of prominent people. Gus Warland is, amongst many other things, a father, a husband and a sports nut. He's also one of Australia's most prolific and popular media personalities, having made numerous TV shows and hosted over 2,000 breakfast radio shows. Gus, that's a lot of early mornings. It how, sure is. <laughs> how, how do you cope with that routine? It's it driving up the wall. Yeah, it just sort of lives in uh, jet lag mode. You know, when you right. just sort of, your accent obviously from England, that tr- yep. trip back and forth, it just knocks you for six. And um, I think you eventually sort of just settle at that sort of mode and you know that you'll be like that for most of your working life. And when you get some holidays, and that's a good thing about Brecky Radio, you get good holidays, about 10 weeks a year, within a week or so, you are back into the groove and life is good again. And um, to me, it's just life now. And, and so what time would you, I mean, it's a boring question, what time do you go to bed? Do you, do you go to bed at midnight and just have to have three hours sleep? Or do you no, go to bed at- no, I've got to be in bed between 8 and 8.30 every night and I wake up at 3.30. And, and your missus, is it Vicky? Yes. So, so you're a dull husband. Yeah, we have sex at lunchtime. <laughs> If that's where you're going. Afternoon delight. Afternoon delight. Oh, I wasn't actually going or, the sex route, mate. I'm that not, was you. I'm, I'm not sure if it's afternoon delight, actually. It's just afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we basically have worked out that, um, you know, our lives have to be a little bit different. We don't go out for dinners as much. On a Friday night, we would tend to go out with other couples and so forth, but... Um, the kids are the same. I mean, when they were a little bit little, it was fine because they went to bed the same time. My little Abby, in fact, the book that I that I was talking to you about, we'll talk about today, was that book that we used to read together yeah. and she used to snuggle in and fall asleep with me. And then um, eventually my wife would scoop her up and put her in her own bed. Now, of course, she's 15 and, you know, she's the one making all the noise downstairs. So I put the earplugs in, I got the mask over my eyes and, you know, I just go to sleep the best I can. I love it. So you mentioned one of your choices. Now, without telling me what the actual item is, um, what was the the item that you found most difficult to decide upon? I think probably the book. Okay. Yeah. Right. Could, only because I've had three children and there's so many books that certain kids liked and the other ones didn't and the books that gave them comfort and the ones that you, You're that a lightweight. Them. I've had four kids and, and I threw out of the car window yeah. the wheels on the bus. Did you? And I had to stop the car and walk back up the motorway because my wife was shouting at me, the kids were screaming. I thought if I listened to that bloody song. Wah, one ah, more time. Ah, ah. I never, a big one for audio books, always loved the wiggles and that yeah. sort of, to me, like, you know, fruit salad, yummy, yummy. Like every dad of my generation was sitting there going through that, met the wiggles a few times now and done some stuff with them, realised what an incredible group they are and they've changed over the years but that first original group were just fantastic so I never got upset with their music I just sort of realised that that was the best babysitter you could get sometimes. Uh, we're going to start with your film you have chosen a little known indie film um, Star Wars. Yeah exactly I mean Star Wars for me I suppose the 
now that you've seen so many different episodes of it and the fact that they started it halfway through and then they went back to the start, it's all a bit confusing. But the actual original Star Wars for me was um, was very important because my father had literally just moved out of the family home. This is 1970. You must have been three or something. Yeah, no, that was, so I was born in 1968. Thank you. Yeah. That's very kind. <laughs> yeah, so Dad sort of waited, I suppose, till, till we were reasonably sort of old enough, I suppose. But I never quite understood it and I remember – coming home one day and just seeing all these um, cardboard boxes at, at, at the uh, front door. And I remember that's just really weird. And then I sort of bumbled along because I always lived in a bit of a bubble. In fact, I still do to a certain degree. And um, and I remember mum, we all sat down for dinner. I remember it really well. It was a cutlets and mash and the three veggies. And dad just sort of said, look, I want to talk to you about something your mother and I have decided. Wow. And then the conversation went from there. And I remember picking up my plate and throwing it against the – the cooker and it's smashing and running away down to my mate Clint's house and staying there for three days thinking they don't know where I am and I don't care. But, of course, Mrs Newcomb had rung straight away back to mum and say, I don't know what's happened. He hasn't told us anything but he's obviously upset but he's here and he's and he's safe. And um, eventually I came home and I spoke to mum and she was shattered, of course, because it had been my father's decision. But they had she was old enough and adult enough, I suppose, to sort of, put it in her brain in some way and went, well, now my life's focusing on you and your brother and um, Dad will still be here on every Wednesday and we started to make a bit of a routine. But um, I remember going to school and speaking to one of my mates and say, oh, my mum and dad are separating. And he goes, yeah, my mum and dad are separated. And it, the way that he sort of just sort of shrugged his shoulders and I went, oh, okay, well, maybe, you know, I'm not the only one. And then the first or second weekend we went to my dad's was the opening of Star Wars and Dad was a bit of a big deal in business. He was able to somehow jag a couple of tickets. So all of a sudden, you know, this sort of Disney Dad appeared and he was that Disney Dad then for many years, you know, because he did feel horrible himself that he had left the family home. So my brother and I were treated, if you like, to so Mm. many wonderful things that maybe other kids didn't get because Dad was feeling... Pretty awful and, and, about his decision. And so how old were you when you threw the, the plate against the fridge? Yeah, so I was about 10. And presumably beforehand, you, because you, a nine-year-old, you would have thought your your mum and dad would be like any other mum and dad and were complete, you, you must have been a bolt from the blue. Absolutely. Yeah, what do you mean you're leaving, you numbnut? Cool. Exactly. I don't understand. <laughs> Why? I don't understand this. And yeah. Dad and mum seem to be really cool. I mean, and I've learnt now as an adult that, of course, you know, adults uh, – the way that they treat, the way that they sort of look after each other in front of their kids, and maybe different to when the kids are out and so forth. But um, Dad had wanted to make the decision from when I was about two, mm. so for him to wait as long as he did, in the end, I sort of realised now that you know he he thought that he had to live his own life, and now that I'm nearly fifty, you know, Dad's been a wonderful dad. You know, and in fact, he's a wonderful grandfather too, probably better than he was as a dad. He's learned a lot of stuff about himself, and um, it was a pretty gutsy move to do what he did, but he did it. And do. Mum and Dad, are they... Are they Still mates. Yes. Yeah, we still have Christmas together. No way. Yeah, he, no way. And, and if you don't mind me asking, has he got another partner? Or? Yeah, he's got another partner. Mum's never. Mum, right. mum said I fell in love with one man and, that, that's, right. and that's your father and I yeah. can't... I think she probably had some so affairs. So she sits at the whatever. Christmas the Christmas table she with, sits with the, Dad and, and his partner, new partner. And, and my brother and all our family and stuff and it's normal. 
That's just, you are, I mean, I am, I am so vanilla white bread. <laughs> my drama is my parents never got divorced. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's I a, haven't got any victim story. Well, there's a lot of, there's, now that I'm a little bit older and I understand I've been married nearly 25 years myself, uh, um, for me, I understand now the pressures that come with marriage and a decision that is made when you're in your early 20s may not be the right decision mm. sort of 10, 15 years down the track, but I've been fortunate enough to have, have sort of picked the right one and she's been wonderful to me. Um, my mum never remarried, never had any significant other and she's been sort of okay with that. You know, I was only with her yesterday doing her yearly checkups and so forth and we were talking about it and she's like, I wouldn't change anything oh. after the decision was made for her. She said, I would have obviously loved your dad to have loved me and stayed in the family home, but, you know, she's had a, a good life. She's made the most of it. So that's that's just a gorgeous story, Gus. Is the stepmum, as in your dad's current partner mm. presumably that's all lovely yeah that's all good 40 odd years wow and, yeah. and, and is that the same lady from way back yeah first the the person yeah gosh um so you've you chose a a blockbuster um film and <laughs> yeah. you've also chosen for your book a intergalactically successful children's book yes um uh, the very hungry caterpillar yes. or as my wife and i call it the bloody effing sodding caterpillar book yeah, yeah. With, with the holes in it and the different size pages. I wager, not only have I got more kids for you, not only have I been married for one more year than you, I've read that bloody book more times than you. Incredible. Incredible. It was a great book though, isn't it? And it was the book that we then bought all our friends as well right. because we were one of the first to have children. Right. My mate Nick was the first cab off the rank and then we came into play and, and then sort of everyone else followed suit over the next five, ten years. Everyone got those that one. Now, could I ask you whether you have the bath uh, version of it, which is the waterproof one, which is plastic and sort of squashy? Have you got that version? Well, do you know what? You've, you've now you've got me. But, but, but I'm going to I'm going to counter by okay. saying I've got the normal version that I made the bath version. So it's got soggy just from getting Nicely wet. Nicely done. Yeah. Well, I know you English guys don't like jumping in the tub too often, so I imagine <laughs> it wasn't a big priority. But that for me was just, it was a book, it was a go-to. The kids liked yeah. it, the great colours in it. Yeah. And I have so many great memories. There's a photograph of my son and I, Jack, who's now 18, him lying on my chest in a bathtub, and I'm a big unit, yeah. so I couldn't quite fit in the bath. Sideways was fine, but lengthwise. Yeah. So I sort of had to slide down the bath, put my feet up at the end of the bath, and my son sort of snuggled in on my hairy chest, and then I sort of read over his shoulders, and then my son looked over. I remembered that, and I've got a photograph of that, and then my two daughters came, and that became their favourite book as well. So, A, the kids are the most important thing in your life once you have them. B, it gave them so much joy and happiness. And C, I know I gave a lot of other joy and happiness to my mate's kids too. So that when it came to the book, it was very much a, a no-brainer. It's interesting how some of those books cut through. I mean, they're millions of, of, of kids' books, but mm. yet you and I are bonding over that particular book. Yeah. They're ones like, um, I don't know, Where the Wild Things Are, or what's the one which is I can't go through it, can't go... Can't go over it, can't go under it. Yeah. yeah and, 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 You've got to go around that's it. That's it. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and the memories, exactly what you're saying, the memories of, you know, little kids. I, I, I love the, the roll neck pyjama stage. When they're running and they turn, they, they do the little lean. 
Yeah, yeah and, and then they sit on your on, on your lap with an arm around your neck and <laughs> read you the story again. And what you learn from child psychologists is for you, familiarity is a pain in the backside. Well, I know how this goes. The caterpillar is going to be very angry. It's going to eat some stuff. Yeah, I, I've got the plot. Yeah. yeah, they like the fact that they know it's the pear next. That's right. And then it's the strawberry. They're excited. <laughs> They're excited. And what I, what I love about that book is that it sort of gives them a little bit of a story, and it's actually true too. Yeah, yeah it gives them a little bit of education, yeah, education at the same time. For me, anything to do with my kids, I imagine now, and hopefully it's a few years to go, my first grandchildren, myself, will get the same book. Right. Now, you mentioned, um, and, and you mentioned it, not me, that you're a big unit. You look like a completely normal bloke to me. Thank you. Um, but I can't keep up because I, I, I've been doing my research on you, which has been fascinating. You're very different to how I thought you might be. Mm. That's because I'm a judgmental asshole. <laughs> but but I, I, I was moved beyond words with your Man Up series. The Lifeline bloke, the old guy in the first episode, just mm. had an aura about him. Yeah. When he answered the phone... Unlike the other guy, who was, were lovely, saying, hello, Lifeline, how can I help? But, but the other bloke, it was mm. like, holy, I'm in the presence of love. Yeah. Even on your TV, so I'm getting it fifth hand. Yeah. I'm getting it through a TV with you interviewing him. I just thought, God, we're lucky that people... But I'm going to talk about your weight, not about that bloke. Okay. Uh, um, because you mentioned it, mm. and, and I'm doing my research on you, and you've got a diet book, and you've run the marathon, and blah, 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 um, but you've just said you're a big unit. Yeah. So are you up and down like a horse draws on payday? <laughs> <laughs> Can I say that? Yeah, good, I'm glad you did. I was going to say a yo-yo, but you go with yours. I like yours better. Yeah, it's always been my Achilles heel. Right. It's always been a problem for me, and it's been a problem for my dad. It's been a problem for his sister, so my auntie, just ballooning and sugar, booze, or just emotional eating, or emotional eating, um, mainly carbs and sugar and things like that. Booze comes and goes. I can go with the best of them, um, but I can also give it a big wide miss as well. It's it's bad eating in and around good meals that my wife cooks me. Right, and it's always been my Achilles heel. I was able to focus on the marathon, which I did in 2014, New yeah. York. Um, I did a program for Foxtel called Marathon Man. And that just gave me nine months of doing the radio show and at 9.15 being picked up yeah. by a dietitian, an awesome athletic guy and just following exactly what – and I lost 40 kilos. Yeah. So that's just done. And that's when I wrote the yeah. the, the, the weight loss book. Um, and I ran the marathon and I ran it at 109 kilos, which is still a Clydesdale. In marathons, once you're over 105 kilos, you're a Clydesdale. Yeah. And there's got its own first for a Clydesdale. So you might be three hours behind the Kenyan, but if you're a Clydesdale and over yeah. 105, you can still be number one of the big fellas. So I'm still a Clydesdale, but I was fit enough and healthy enough to so, run. So can I say, one of my favourite quotes is from Chekhov who said, any fool can face a crisis. It's day-to-day living that's the real challenge. Yeah. And I think true. that is just spot on. So, so my mate who I had on here recently, uh, Osher Gunsberg, yeah, yeah. he's on the front cover of Men's Health. Yeah, and, he, and, he, and, he's got, and he's got the rig. But, but what I'd say, and I've spoken to him about this, which is, it's, it's lovely, you go, you'd have to be a sub-epsilon moron not to be able to lose weight if you've got a dietitian and you're training for the marathon and you know you're going to have a TV program. And yeah. you have to be like slightly... Bonkers, yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> the, the, the real challenge in life, in everything, in, in, and I think it's, it's career, it's sex, it's, it's weight, it's happiness, it's how you're going on Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday when no one's looking, Wednesday when no one's looking. Yeah. So, so, you know, in my life I've done some things here and there and you get a lot of attention and it's, it's quite easy to 
do that. It's it's you know the the grind. It's the grind. How, how, how do you go with the grind? It's it's what you actually just nailed it perfectly. It's the stuff that gets done when no one else is looking. That's right. So for me, I would let's say if the ratings went down on the grill team, and that's a big part. Like there's bonuses attached to that. There's the it's a very cutthroat life anyway. Radio, especially brekkie radio. I couldn't get employment insurance because they knew who I was right. and they went, well, you know, they're more likely that you'll be punted before. So yeah, we'll, yesterday's we'll news. Have to, we'll have to pay you out. So sure. you couldn't get that. So, you know, when you're up there with the fireys and the coppers, when it comes to, you know, job security, yeah. you know you're in trouble. Yeah. And, um, you know, for me, I just sort of didn't quite you know, get it right after I had the spotlight on me yep. and I'm continually struggling with that and I keep justifying myself. We go down in the ratings, I drive past. I know I've got four McDonald's between myself, <laughs> myself at work and myself <laughs> at home and I'm like. <laughs> the Golden Arches. Okay, so if I, don't, if I don't go to the one at Darling Harbour here in Sydney and if I don't go Military Road, I'll miss the Cremorne one. Oh, you know, I might, might pick up that one, that, you know, and I'm just going, dotting it through. So I'm going a different way, and then I'll just find myself in the drive-thru anyway. Go, going, what's your go-through? Why through? can't I have it? What's your go-to item? I like to work my order from the burgers through to dessert. Oh, oh, do you, so do you, you just do you have to back it up there. Yeah. I am. <laughs> two cheeseburgers, large fries, six nuggets, yeah, and then... I go the chocolate sundae rather than a McFlurry. Nice work. I don't like nibbly bits in nice there. Nice work. I just want the fudge and the ice cream. But in one go? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, you know, we make a joke of it on our show, you know, because the McDonald's know I'm coming. They actually re- they actually record me. Uh, in one and then they go? And they send it, in a, send it in to the grill team and they'll say, Gus, did you go to Macca's yesterday? And I'll lie and say, no. And they'll go, well, the Boca Cremorne just sent us this. And that it's, and is it's me ordering. hilarious. So can you do, can you eat cold Macca's chips? Because I can't. No, you can't. No, but when no, they're, they're hot, gotta, they're, it's like sex on a yeah, stick. Yeah, they've, <laughs> they've got to be super hot. Even yeah. I've done the drive through driven back around and go, I need this all again because the chips won't work. And they go, well, we'll give you the chips. I said, my burger's not the right temp now. <laughs> I'm really sort of fussy when it comes to that. When I was doing the marathon, I went to a pie shop in Collaroy and I said, oh, look, a couple of pies. And the boat goes, sorry, gosh, I'm not giving them to you. And I go, what do you Fought mean? For your he own said, good. Yeah, because he listens to the show and everyone was on the journey what with me to, ma- to get me down to the way they needed to get down to. Bloke. So I'm like, you're kidding me. He goes, mate, hop it. And he just sent me out. I love it. So, so I used to do some work with McDonald's for a variety of reasons in my other roles. And this guy said, um, you, you've got it wrong, Nigel, because you're talking about potato chips. They are a salt delivery mechanism. Oh, dear. Isn't Don't that tell great? Me Isn't that like great? That. So, but if you think about it, we, we're yeah. really like them when they're hot yeah. because that sensation. Of it's a salt. You're just pouring hot, fatty salt down your gullet, and it tastes great. You're talking about yeah, beautiful Australian <laughs> farm potatoes. Spuds. Yeah, what's wrong with you? Given that Macca's is one of the wonderful things in the world, that yeah. links on to your um, your third choice, which is your song. So you are a populist because you've gone into galactic film uh, <laughs> choice. You've yeah. gone the 30 million selling uh, Hungry Caterpillar yeah. and you've gone one of the best songs ever recorded, yeah. What a Wonderful World It Is by Louis Armstrong. Yes. Uh, tell me why you've chosen that. Well, it's it's particularly strong right now because I've just lost my father-in-law. Oh, I'm sorry. He was an Englishman and we went across to Lincolnshire to, to bury him and... As people were walking into the crematorium, we had that blazing, and as they walked oh, out, tears. we oh. had a blazing too. Um, Jerusalem in between. So, right. you know, you pommies, you, you, you can do an event well. Um, his old mates from the rugby club who came down from Liverpool, where he was originally from um, in Wallasey, their tears coming down their eyes because they remember that song originally coming out and dancing to that and trying to get a kiss at the end of the night at the, you know, off a lady's dance card. Um, 
So my wife and I just said, well, that's a simple one. Jerusalem obviously is a simple one. He wasn't a religious man, but it, he was sort of prone, if you like, to ha- having that type of music around him. And I just remember just walking out the back of our place when he came out to visit, you know, with uh, a pipe in his mouth, um, a bottle of some type of beer, um, just listening to that music with his eyes shut mm. and the the pipe in the mouth and the other hand just sort of, you know, I know this is hard on a podcast, but just sort of floating through the air as the, as the music just over, overtook him. Um, very emotional stuff. And now when we hear it and see it, of course, it just brings a smile but also a tear to our, um, to our eyes. My dad passed away um, in the same week that my um, wife's dad passed away Tough. And, and in, in England. Uh, Were you over here then? Yeah. Mm. And we... Um, we went over, it was a particular week before, week before Christmas, where on the Tuesday we buried my dad, and on the Thursday we buried Kate's dad. Oh. Happy Christmas, ho, ho, ho. Yeah. Um, so this was this year, this happened, was it? Yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago. Where, oh, where, how, how's I was Vicky? Actually, oh, she, Vicks is fine now. Her sister's over here at the moment, so we brought the sister and the two nephews over, so they've been with us for a couple of weeks. Um, I mean, we bought it. We bought a house and then we built a little house out the back for him to stay in. He was one of those grandfathers that would tell a story without a book. So he'd lie down and he'd just tell stories of when he was in the Navy or when he ran a pub, he was a publican, and he was also a um, teacher at at Wells Cathedral School, which was a very posh sort of forces school down in Somerset near Bath, which is where I met Vicky on my gap year. I went there from my school. So there's so many great synergies. And I met him when I wasn't with my wife. It was just his daughter. So he and I were great mates and he took me under his wing and would go eat first couple of pints I ever drank in the Fountain Inn in Somerset were with Bill. And when I asked years later for uh, Vicky's hand in marriage, um, he said, well, it's better an asshole that I know than an asshole that I don't know. He said, because no one's going to be good enough, but you'll do sort of thing. And he goes, well, at least I can come and live in Australia, <laughs> get a bit of sun during November, December, January, February. And um, he did that nearly every year from the time that we lived out in Australia and, uh, you know, much loved and um, much missed. We're, in fact, going to sprinkle him across Monavale, um, headland on uh, on Sunday because my daughter's 15th birthday and uh, he used to love sitting out there looking at the ocean because he was an ex-seaman. And um, we're going to sprinkle half of him. He came in a Ziploc bag on the Qantas flight across, <laughs> across the Pacific Ocean to come here. So we're going to sprinkle him in that ocean on Sunday. And he was in the Navy? Yeah, he was in the Navy. Um, my wife was born in Plymouth, so he was down there and his boat used to come in and out of Plymouth back in the uh, late 60s. So I was born in Plymouth. Oh. My father was in the Royal Navy for 30 years. Oh. All my family's from Somerset. That's amazing. We are brothers from another mother. We certainly are. This is The Five of My Life. More with Gus after the break. This is The Five of My Life with Nigel Marsh. Did you live rough in England? I'm making that up. I, I've, I've read more about you. I mean, God, it's dull. Have I really got to read more about this bloke? Why don't I just talk to him when I meet him? But I'm really, it said, so one place said you live rough in, as in rough as in rough as guts or rough on the street? No, I never lived on the street. Oh, okay. I never lived on so, the street. So, so someone on Wikipedia or somewhere yeah. has got you well, homeless in England. Wikipedia is one of those <laughs> ones that you wouldn't necessarily take too much uh, from. I think they're more porky pies than anything else. No, I've always been kissed um, on the you know what. I've been very lucky right. in my life. So uh, there's been moments with my wife and I. I remember we lived in Canterbury for a while. We've always lived in cathedral cities in, in England. 
in Wells and then in Canterbury and then in Lincolnshire, in Lincoln. Uh, I remember one night uh, we had a coal um, that was making the heat for the radiators and it was in January and the bloke with the coal turned up to fill up next doors and I was expecting him to uh, fill up mine and he said, mate, your last check bounced. It was like 27 pounds. And I sort of went, well, how am I going? You know, sort of 25 years old and I can't, you know, write a check out for 27 quid. Um, and I remember sort of go, running upstairs without the doona and just sort of shaking my body all over the bed, trying to get a bit of static heat. And then my wife with the doona would run up from downstairs and then, and then we would just sort of snuggle in together. <laughs> that was probably a couple of years. Life obviously moves on and things change, but... We tell those stories to our kids because, you know, they've lived a very fortunate life and they at some stage will be in a position where they're out there on their own and things don't always go well, have a bit of resilience um, and get through it. So my eldest son is living in London now and he's doing it tough. Um, he's such an angel. But I go, so what did you have for, uh, what did you have, you know, for dinner last night? And he goes, sleep, Dad. Wow. Sleep for dinner again. Wow. So he, he's got two strategies to save money on food. One is sleep for dinner, and the other one is out-of-date food in the supermarket because, you know, they're going to throw it out. So if you go So there, what do you do as a dad there? Because I imagine you could afford to throw him a couple well, of pounds a month to make sure that no, he's sorted. So, so we, and I'm really conflicted by this because I, I, I'm lucky enough to live in Bronte. I, I, that's just where I arrived 18 years ago. I didn't know how nice it was. But then you wake up and you go, well, it's quite N- nice. But, nailed it. But I, I, mean, I could have lived anywhere. I, you could have put me anywhere. I just, I, I, I had a corporate job then. They, I mean, I literally had three days to find a place and so I didn't even look at a house. I just lived where they put me. Yeah. Anyway, so lots of the people that we know are loaded, um, but we aren't, right? And even if I was, I would stick to the strategy that we've got. Is we sent him to Bronte Public, brilliant school, happiest days of my life. And then I've got four kids. All four of them went for the high school years to, to expensive school. And the deal that they all know, yeah, and my twin daughters are leaving school after the HSC this year, is after that, we're done. We're, you know, seriously, we're done, done, right? Even if you're eating sleep for dinner, um, you have my unconditional love forever. You can live in my house forever. But if you ask me for another dollar... I will shove the very hungry caterpillar where the sun doesn't shine because really? I've done my dash. Ah. And you're on your own. You've got to learn to live in this life. And I've got lots of... I'm not criticising them. They buy their kids cars and flats and send them plane tickets. You go, mate, welcome to the real world. When are you, when, when's it going to stop? I know basically 39-year-old babies. <laughs> you know, mum and dad are paying off the credit card or helping them do whatever. You go, welcome to the world. You know, you could mm. have been born in Syria or Somalia or somewhere. So you're living in London having sleep for dinner, well, get a better job. I mean, yeah. I, I, I said nicer than that. I love yeah. him, I love him more than life itself. And, yeah. and, and every, of course, every now and then, I went over to stay. I slept on his floor for six days in April. I had the best time. I was 19 again. It was, and, I, and I might just have a couple of, you know, canaries might have fallen out my pocket and, you know, because I can't help it because I love him. But, yeah, of course. But I don't want it to be, you've got this sort of this comfort Safety blanket net. that other people haven't got because mm. you haven't, apart from my unconditional love. Okay. I don't know how long this podcast do, could go for. I think you and I could have a... Do, do I sound horrible? I, I, I sound that. really horrible. Well, you don't sound horrible. You sound exactly as you want it to be because you've called the shots and you've put a line in the sand. It's just not the way that I... Not the way that I do it. You spoil your kids rotten. I Can do. I have some money? Yeah. Mate, I, <laughs> I do. you are a famous personality. Give us some Wonga. <laughs> I think the thing for me is um, as long as they are well-mannered, 
as long as they are working hard, as long as they are ticking the boxes and everything else, then I'm quite happy for them to get a little bit of extra. Um, my son went overseas to Europe. Um, he paid for it all himself. And then my wife and I, as he left, we gave him a $500 travel card saying, well, mate, there's a couple of really nice meals in there. Or if there's one night where you don't want to be in the hostel and you want to go and stay at a nice hotel, one night he's going to meet up in... Um, Croatia with his girlfriend who was on another trip. I said, make that night a nice night. Don't sneak her into the, you know, and try to have a Ronnie Coot on the side and, you know, trying to keep it all quiet. Go and have a lovely night and a dinner and stuff. Which And then he sent me a photograph. And so he appreciates it and stuff. I think if I, I gave my daughter the other day 20 bucks. She came back, she gave me the $14 change. Now my other daughter, Ella, would never give me the 14 bucks so, back. Uh, so but I've... Abby does. So I'm like, okay, there's certain stuff that, I know I can do with them because they really appreciate. As soon as they show any sort of cheek or they're not nice to their mother or they start dropping the ball, then all bets are off. So this this is interesting because I think there's a distinction. And again, I'm happy for anyone to do what they want. But the things that you're talking about, I actually do as well because I think that the bad lesson, and this is said out of love, is a constant can rely on, like if you gave them an endowment every month, personally, I think that's giving them the wrong life lessons. Yeah, I'm certainly not doing that. Giving them 500 so they can take their girlfriend. That's great. I, I do that all the time because, you know, I can't help myself. Yeah. But, but it's not an arrangement where you've got... It's, it's a bit like um, welfare from the government. It's not a... Yeah. Because you are, um, you know, Gus's child, you're going to get 100 bucks a week uh, Gus dividend. Yeah, you go, well, not well, well, why should they? Yeah. yeah, yeah, No, but if they wanted... You know, my daughter wants to go to Borneo in the year and do some wonderful work because her school is just those beautiful people that do that sort of stuff. I'm like, well, that's six grand, babe. So how are you doing that? And she goes, well, I go, I'll go halves with you. So you've got to come up with three and I'll come up with three and then we're somewhere in the middle. And she's like, okay. So she's off now working at the local RSL. She's got those, well, you know, we've, <laughs> I'm selling chocolates in here on every level, <laughs> you know, a dollar a pop. Um, and she's making money that way. So they've got a earn it, but I suppose, you know, my kids are maybe a little bit younger and I'm still sort of um, letting them tap me. I'd, I'd love to talk to you about this uh, at length, get you back for, a, for the 10 of my life, um, <laughs> is I am Victorian dad in terms of manners. Mm. And the, the biggest sin that can happen, which, touching wood, has never happened yet, is for me to hear from somebody else that one of my children was ill-mannered or poorly behaved oh. in someone else's house... You, you don't want to see that. No, you, 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 we're the you, same. You don't want to see that. And, and sometimes, and you must have seen some of, some of your, whisper it, mates, children being slightly rude or ungrateful, and, and it, it makes me, if someone comes in, I'd expect them to say, can I help, that was a lovely meal, Mrs. Marsh. And then she can say, no, call me Kate. And then I expect someone to say, can oh. I help with the washing up? Yeah. And then say, oh, no, no, don't worry, I've got this. Or yes, you can. Yeah. But I'd like you to walk in and look me in the eye, shake my hand and say, hello, Mr. Marsh. Yeah. I go, no, it's Nige and here's a beer. Nothing wrong with a bit of old-fashioned stuff. We're, we're exactly the same. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, my wife is English and she is old school and you would get along very well with her. So the place that you've chosen to talk about. Yeah. So, so um, what a wonderful world it is. What a wonderful place Hawaii is. Yeah. I've never been there. Haven't you? Is it as wonderful as all my mates crap on about? Yeah, no, it's great. It really is. It's wonderful. And the reason why I picked it, a couple of things. A, I was conceived there. So I remember, I remember going, Ew. I remember sitting in the back of a uh, car with the roof off, my dad driving, my brother next to me, and my dad 
pointing up to a hotel room. <laughs> Stop! And I don't want to But it is still there now. The, the, and if you if you ever go there, or if any of our listeners have gone there, they'll recognise this. It's an old hotel sort of back from the beach, not right on Waikiki, and it's got like a rainbowy sort of... Uh, pre- pull it, that's pangular. where I gave your and mother one. Oh, this he's is- basically that, hey, Gus, you were conceived in there. <laughs> I'm like... Oh. Yeah, <laughs> like the whole thought of that was horrifying. And but, you still picked Hawaii. Yeah, well, that was one thing. And then when I met Vix in 1987 in England in my gap year, she then came out in 88 for Australia. But she had a boyfriend and I had a girlfriend. And then years later, I went over and asked her to marry me on the first day that I saw her again. So I hadn't seen her for three years. I'd written her three aerograms. Yep. This is before the email, the blue ones you yep. folded and licked and so forth. Three of those a week, every week. I used to tape the top 40 and wait for the love songs and, and, and sort of pause it and then play it again and then talk over it to her. And she always thought that I was slightly weird, but she sort of liked me, but she wasn't sure. She sort of liked a bloke at university that she was going to go back to maybe have a bit of a crack with. I lob up and say, hey, I'm here to marry you. And she was like, what are you talking about? A um, couple of days later, she goes, well, let's go out. You know, I won't go out with this other bloke that I was thinking of and let's give it a go. And a month later, she said, remember that question you asked me? I'd like to say yes. So that was the start of our love affair. Then my mother, about 18 months into it, I was living in England, I had a phone call from Dad saying Mum wasn't well and needed my help. So I came back and I came back for a year to look after Mum. In that year, there was a lot of question marks over our relationship. Vix was like, well, you know, how serious are you if you're back here looking after your mum and I'm here in England without you and so forth? So we made the commitment that we'd meet somewhere-ish halfway and as her mother said, yeah, you're meeting in Hawaii as if that's not going to work out really well. Like even if you break up, you're going to have some really good time there. But it did work out well. We had we couldn't afford a lot. We were three or four streets away from Waikiki in this little apartment had a pool. and But we had the most amazing sort of 10 days and reconnected again. And I then went back to Australia and I'd done all I could for mum. Mum's much better now. But I just said, look, someone else has to pick up pick up the reins here. I've got to go back because I'm going to lose this girl if I if I don't. So three months later, I was back in England and we've been together ever since. So that's why Hawaii is so strong and we've been back together again since. We've been back with our kids since on the way back from England. So I feel like the it's sort of like a closing of the circle, if you like, now. And I'm someone who doesn't like wearing a lot of clothes. I like the sun and I love food and beer and Hawaii's ticking all those boxes. But that's such a lovely love story. That's a, that's a really... I'm, I'm, thank you for sharing that. I, I mean... It's quite a a ballsy move to put yourself out there and declare your intent. Mm. So, so I, I'm <laughs> yes. sort of uh, enthusiastically. Uh, I, I I like the old chasing women thing as a younger man. Yeah. But then when I met my wife, I thought, right, this is it. And we went to a restaurant, and we would never discuss marriage at all. And I and I had the ring, the whole nine yards, and and you know ordered a drink, and then I went, sweetheart, I'd like you to marry me, and. In my my narrative, in my mind, was she was going to burst into tears and say, I've been waiting for you to ask, you've made me the happiest woman alive. She just looked at me like a stunned mullet and didn't say anything. Oh. And, and my, How long did the silence last? Well, she was sort of umming and ahhing and then the starter arrived. And I, <laughs> and I, I said, to, to my shame... You've got until the main course to give me an answer. Oh, that was, was your Victorian upbringing. And I then. was rapidly scrambling, like I've I've balls this up, and so what? Misread it. I'm very black and white, and so I thought, well, if she says no, then I'm going to have to end it. 
I can't be doing that, oh, prove it to me thing. Yeah, so she I, doesn't know. So I thought I was coming here to spend the rest of my life with this woman and instead I'm breaking up with her. Yeah. So I was just hoping the waiter was going to be slow with the bloody main course. So how but, long did it take? Well, she said yes, thank, thank like goodness. within 20 seconds? No! Made me wait for about 10 minutes. Wow. I've never forgiven her. <laughs> anyway, listen, you have chosen a green tiki candle. So tiki, from my research, is a Maori human figure carved into it. So, but, so before <laughs> you tell us why you've chosen this thing, could, could you describe it? Yeah, it? I suppose it's about four inches tall and about an inch and a half wide. Ah, I thought it was like eight feet tall. No, <laughs> no, this is a small thing that actually my best mate brought back from holiday when he went to New Zealand. Right. And he brought it back. It was a candle. So it is Maori, New Zealand. It is a tiki is Maori. It's right. exactly right. Your research was perfect. So, But I've never lit the candle and it's always sort of just been displayed somewhere in one of my rooms wherever I've moved around the world. Right. And it became such a thing that I used to... Now, when phones became available to take a phone call, uh, take a picture and then you could just send it off on a text, we started... My mate and I started sort of sending these sort of photographs to each other. And he goes, I want to get that tiki back for a little while and then I'll give it back to you. And it can be this sort of symbol of our relationship. Now, that person that gave me the tiki is Hugh Jackman. The, the actor. The actor, musician, overall great bloke. Handsome so, bloke. Handsome bloke. He is handsome. Uh, we went to kindergarten together. Then we went to prep school. Then we went to senior school. Then we did our gap year together. Then we went to the same uni. Then after that... When I got married, he was my best man. When he was married, I was his best man. He's godfather to my firstborn. I'm godfather to his firstborn. Like we've stayed great mates even though his journey has gone literally through the roof and up to the stars and back, um, even but to this that's day. That's fantastic. So, so you, are, tiki, you are really, really close. Super. What and, a lovely thing and, to have in your life. And this tiki... He sent me a photo the other day. He was unwrapping it when they had moved from one part of New York and they he decided to take the tiki down to the Hamptons, which is another place where they um, had bu- built a beach house. And there the photo was and he was unwrapping it. And it was a little video that Deb did of him unwrapping the tiki in that sort of bubble wrappy stuff. And he goes, there it is, it's still there. And it went up, so now it's down at the Hamptons. So I'll go there in October, which is for his 50th birthday. I'm taking the tiki back. And then I'll have the tiki for a couple of years. Then I'll sort of go back and forth again. So to me, it's a silly little thing, but it means the world to me. I'm so grateful for you sharing that story. And and what I'm finding in this series is when people choose their possession, the vast majority choose things that have no monetary value. Mm. They choose things. And your life, if I could be so bold, it seems to be you're, you're blessed, mate, despite your God gantuan gut because you are <laughs> you ha- your life has meaningful loving sustained relationships which yeah. is at the end of the day that is what it's about we're all heading to the same place which is a hole in the ground yeah a- and before we get there it'd be quite nice if there'd be some people that for me happiness is something to do something to look forward to and someone to love yeah and it seems that you've got a few people to love so i just want to say thank you for coming on five of my life you are a dead set Legend and stay out of Maccas. Yeah, well, that's, all I, to, that's all I have to Thank do. Thank you very isn't much. It? It's easy as that. Good on you. Thank you. Thanks for your time. The Five of My Life was presented by me, Nigel Marsh. Producer, Alex Mitchell. Sound production and theme music by Darcy Thompson and Matt Nicholish. Listener.